title of my message this week is writing a clear vision writing a clear vision i want to start off with a little story this one bishop from the united brethren church who lived on the east coast was pastoring there with his wife along his side one day he paid a visit to a young bible college president after the dinner the bishop begins to talk with the uh, college presidents as they sit in the living room. And the bishop tells the college president, you know, I think as this millennia is coming to a close, I think we've discovered all that we need to know about nature. And we've seen so many inventions and things that I really think that um, there's not much else to look forward to, not much other inventions for this millennia. And the college president disagreed with the bishop. And he says, you know, in truth, I believe in the next 50 years, we will begin to see people fly. People fly. And the bishop spoke up. He says, now that's just nonsense. We will never see people fly. He says, only angels fly, the bishop said. The bishop's name was Milton Wright. He had two sons, Wilbur and Orville Wright. Does those two names ring a bell at all? For those of you who know a little bit of history, Wilbur and Orville Wright went on to invent and improve the flying aircraft. And I think it's interesting that their father, these two boys grew up in a Christian home. And the mother who consistently poured into poured in to these, uh, these two boys. And the father at the beginning of his ministry was an itinerant preacher who was traveling and preaching and evangelizing. And the mom consistently poured into these kids. And really what we see today is a vision that has come to pass. But really it started somewhere, I think it's about over a century ago. I think it's about 1902 when they first built their first aircraft. Can I ask a question here? How many of you have never been on an airplane yet? Never been on an airplane yet? We all have been on an airplane. What? Look at that. Another example of vision. Not a single person hasn't been on an airplane yet. And it all started from someone who had a vision. Last week I talked about Coca-Cola and someone who had a vision there. Not one person hasn't tasted Coke and Here are these two boys who their father didn't have a vision for seeing people fly. The pastor is like, no, only angels fly, nothing else. That was his vision. Yet his two sons had a vision that one day people would fly. In fact, I was looking at the the aircraft that they first built. I'm like, boy, was that look so sketchy. Like they were like literally just laying down and like strapped in. I'm like total sketch like I don't know but it all started with a vision a vision in fact the chair that you're sitting on right now hopefully it's comfortable started with a vision someone who imagined it saw it in their mind and then it came to pass I want to read a passage of scripture that will kind of hang the direction where we're going It's found in Habakkuk in the Old Testament, Habakkuk 2, verses 2 to 4. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets so that he may run 
who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end and it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come and it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up and it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Now, I'm not going to take this scripture and uh, preach it expositorily where we're looking at the context of it. I'm going to hope, hopefully preach more of a topical type of message, but really this verse sums up the topic and the direction that we're going to head. Um, so I want to, we're going to, you have the notes. Uh, if you don't have the notes, raise your hand. They're going to get the notes to you. You're going to have some fill in the blanks that we're going to look at six questions to ask yourself when forming a vision. Six questions to ask yourself in forming a vision. And if you, um, vision is something new for you and you're interested in, there are many different books on the topic. I definitely would suggest a few people. John Maxwell, great book on vision. Uh, Aubrey Malfress is another great book on vision. Uh, George Barna has one. There are many different people, and I definitely would encourage you that this is hopefully just to whet your appetite to get you to dive deeper on your own to start articulating and forming your vision. So we're going to cover six questions to ask yourself when forming a vision. Number one, we got to look within you. Look within you. What do you feel? So if I was to ask you the question, like, what is that passion, that fire, that thing that drives you, you think about, uh, do you have, how many of you have something in your mind that, that keeps you burning inside? Any of you have that? Could be anything, right? Could be your kids, could be your family, could be your job, could be success, could be souls, could be any, anything. But what is that thing? Look within you first. Theodore Hesburgh said this, the very essence of leadership is that you have a vision, it's got to be a vision you can articulate clearly and forcefully on every occasion. You cannot blow an uncertain trumpet. He writes, an uncertain trumpet is usually the result of an individual who lacks a vision or is trying to lead with someone else's vision or dream. Certain trumpet sounds come forth from a leader who has birthed a vision from within because there is a vast difference between a person who has vision and a visionary person. I know that was a mouthful, but hopefully you begin to see some key things to take out of that quote. The very essence of leadership is that at the core of all of us, because whether you know it or not, you're all leaders here because someone's watching you. You're either leaders for the bad or leaders for the good because people's watching and saying, man, I don't want to be like that. Or, man, maybe I want to be like that person. Or maybe they're like, man, I don't really want to be like them, but I don't want to be. They're just an average type of person. I love what he says here, though. You have to clearly and forcefully be able to articulate that on every single occasion. But the most important part of that quote, I think, is it has to be a vision that's birthed from within birth from within. I'll talk about a few things between the difference of someone who has vision and a visionary person. A person with vision talks little but does much. 
a visionary person does little but talks much. Do you know anybody who talks a lot but does a little? Okay. Hopefully they need a vision. A person with a vision finds strengths from inner convictions deep within them. A visionary person finds strengths from outward conditions. This is true. A visionary person, when they don't see circumstances going right on the outside, they start losing control. A, vision, a person with vision has true deep inner convictions that even though what they see on the outside isn't happening, they stay true to their inner convictions and they're, they're undeterrable. They're moving forward, unshaken. This is the third part of a, the difference between someone who has vision and a visionary person. A person of vision continues even when problems arise. A visionary person quits when the road gets difficult. We all will face difficulty when you start articulating your vision, but someone with true inner convictions, when the problems arise, boy, they see it as a challenge to rise to the occasion because they have their convictions from within. Helen Keller was an American educator and advocate for the blind and the deaf and the co-founder of the ACLU. Stricken by an illness at age two, Keller was left blind and deaf beginning in 1887. Keller's teacher, Ann Sullivan, helped her make a tremendous progress to her ability to communicate and she eventually went on to college graduating in 1904. During her lifetime, she received many honors and recognitions of her accomplish, accomplishments. She was asked this question, what would be worse than being born blind? And this was her response, to have sight but without vision. They're asking this woman who was born deaf and blind and eventually learned how to communicate, goes on to college and graduates. What's worse than being, being uh, born blind? It's having sight. You can see, but you don't have vision. You can't see tomorrow from today. Does that make sense? Oh, man, that was so good. So the application, and this will take time for you to unpack it. Like, uh, so I want you to take, this is going to be hopefully a practical message. You say, well, pastor, we want something spiritual. This is spiritual, okay? Because the practical stuff, the hard stuff is usually the practical stuff because we like to hear it, make us feel good, but don't want to live it and walk it out. So the application for you is to begin to look within you and say, and ask the question, God, what are you birthing within me? What are you birthing within me? What do you want to see for my marriage? If you're married, what do you want to see professionally uh, in my career? I don't want to pursue after things that I think within me are good. I want them birthed within me what you want to see. Personally, spiritually, what are you birthing in me? For my family, raising children, what do you want me to see? I want you to write those visions out. The second question you have to do is look behind you. Look behind you. What did you learn? What did you learn? What experiences do you have? Most times if you go to any employer or a workplace or nonprofit organization, they usually will ask the question, right? What education do you have, but what's your 
experience. And having to work with many different churches and businesses too, they will oftentimes take someone who has more experience over someone who has more education. And not that it negates either one, that you don't need either one. When you have somebody who has the education, the mind, the experience, the hands, and the character, the heart, look out. The mind, the heart, and the hand, be careful. that They're going to go places. So the experience is something that you need to look behind you. What are your experiences? You need to know that whatever you've been through is no mistake or no accident. Sometimes people think, well, my life is an accident. You need to know that God can take your experiences that you've been through, whether good or bad, and he can use it for the good and he can redeem it and use it to where he's wanting to lead you in the future. He wants to redeem your experiences. What experiences have you been through? A person with experience learns that people buy into the leader before they buy into the vision. This is true. How many of you have a boss or someone that you answer to, but you're like, I kind of don't like that one, that guy, that girl, right? And you're thinking of them. You see them, right? And, and the thought of them and just the, the sound of their name. And you're like, eh, right? Like, and then you have these instructions that you got to do. And you're like, Shh, do them yourself. I'll go take my time. I'm on my own schedule, right? And this is true because before you buy into the vision, you first have to buy into the person. So even, and, and this goes in all aspects, okay? I, I'm talking even marriage, right? Like someone who's married before, many times I'll hear husband says, man, this is where we're going and this is where we're doing. And then the wife is like, that's not what I'm seeing. I don't know if I'm ready to follow you because your past experience doesn't tell us that, right? It's the same thing though for the woman, right? It, it could go either way. What's your experience People will buy into you before they buy into your vision. This is why sometimes people struggle with when you're a, a good leader, you have all these great ideas, but you're horrible at how you treat people and can't really, don't really love people. This is true in business, in church, in life. If you don't love people, you won't get very far or you'll get far, but you'll have a whole lot of enemies. At the end of the day, it's not about making money and you can't step on people to get where you're going. When you stay true to the heart and the character and the integrity, you're going to help people. Remember I said last week, a leader is a person who sees the way, goes the way, and then help others show the way there. That's a leader. There are many people all throughout the Bible who were visionary people but who had experience. Think about Moses. I think about Moses' job of leading millions of people who are grumbling and complaining, having to worry about food and, and everything. How many of you would sign up for that job, right? There's a vision. Where were they headed to? The promised land. 
They're coming out of Egypt to the promised land, and God, you know, has Moses. Moses has every excuse in the book. I'm stuttering. You can't use me, Lord. What do you mean you can use me? And how am I going to tell millions of people? And I, we all have insecurities, okay? You need to know that if you have them, God's already used someone just like you in the Bible, and if you'll surrender your insecurities and your weaknesses to him, he can take those things of your past and he can use you in the present. Moses leading millions of people, he had the experience. It wasn't by chance that he's raised in Egypt at the finest of education, watching leadership of Pharaoh. He watched what, see, because a great leader is someone who basically has followers and they can be leading for the bad or leading for the good. Pharaoh was leading for the bad, right? Slavery. But he had a lot of people who follow him out of force, Right? And Moses is learning and saying, man, there's other things that I would do things a little differently. His experience wasn't wasted. I think about even Nehemiah. Nehemiah, looking behind him, it wasn't by chance that God calls him. I think of David and his mighty men. His experience, there's a reason why David had mighty followers who followed him. Because if David was a person, he's a mighty warrior, right? But I think about it. If his actions didn't back up what he said, you think he would have 600 mighty men following him? No. It's because he said it and he lived it and his experience said it. They bought into the person before they ever bought into his vision. If you're not a person worth emulating, following, they'll never buy into your vision if they're not first bought into you. This is, this is going to help somebody get a raise, okay? Talk about an increase. You take these principles. I'm telling you, I'm, we're going to help somebody today, okay? What do you need to learn? Application. What do you need to learn in the area of your vision? It's not just okay to just say, God birthed a vision in me. You need to apply yourself. If you're in a manager position where you're at, you need to be learning, reading, podcasting, talking to people who are better than you and far down the road ahead of you. Myself as a pastor, like I'm not just content when God birthed something in me and said, I'm calling you to pastor. When I found that out, I was scared out of my my mind I felt ill-equipped and and unqualified and what I began to do was surround myself with people who are far down the road ahead of me to say what do you do in this situation I begin to read every book that I can get learning applying what do you need to learn in the vision that you have if you're terrible in marriage whether you're a husband or a wife what book do you need to read what couple do you need to get around to help you to learn to be better than you are currently if you don't have a vision get around somebody else who has a vision maybe you'll catch their vision is this making sense okay good all right number three look around you look around you what is happening to others what is happening to others this is so key and critical in any vision timing is everything you can have the best idea at the wrong time and it will be a disaster this is true in business. This is true in life. This is true if you're married and you have a great suggestion for your spouse, 
but the timing is wrong. How many of you know what I'm talking about, okay? Right? Experience like, man, I have this great idea, but Lisha's just like, you get bad timing, you know that? I'm like, I mean, like, when is another time? Like, like it's now or never. Like, we got to get this out. She's like, you know, if you come at the right time, it would be received differently, right? Timing is everything. All throughout the Bible, we see how timing was so crucial. Even though there was a vision, there was timing to the vision. And I think if we're not careful, even today, we have many even young people today who have this vision from the Lord and they believe that it's going to happen tomorrow. And in truth, God births a vision in your heart, in my heart, whatever that is, whether professionally, personally, spiritually, relationally, in the church, and it takes time to develop when the timing is right. Oftentimes I counsel people and talk with people, even if they're single, and I say, in truth, right now, you're not ready for marriage. Like, the timing ain't right. But in this season, prep. Work on you. Get your heart right. Your walk with the Lord right. Get a job. You know, get, be consistent. Take care of yourself. Groom, you know, do all those things. You're looking for the best, yet you yourself aren't ready for that. The timing ain't right. Work on some things on your own. I think of this in in, in light of scripture and how important and crucial in vision timing is. Think about this. The prophets of old, Isaiah, speaking about the Messiah to come and, and Jeremiah talking about this new covenant and all these Old Testament prophets. And there's hundreds of years they prophesy and speaking vision to the people, but literally it's hundreds of years later. And I think about the silent period between the Old Testament when, when it ends in the Old Testament, Malachi, right? Malachi, last book. Yeah. Malachi, last book. In between Malachi and Matthew, there's a period of about 400 years in between there. They call it the intertestamental period. And I think about the the timing of Christ's birth. There was a vision that Christ was to come and to be born. But if he was born at the wrong time, it wouldn't have been ripe. And what I mean by that, it would have been a disaster. In the intertestamental period, people call it the silent years. They feel like God wasn't speaking. And yet, God is in control whether people think it's secular or sacred. And even the Roman uh, government at the time were building roads, expanding, going, moving forward. And do you know that in those silent years of those 400 years, The gospel was being prepared to move rapidly so that when Christ was born, the gospel could be spread out and it could go from one place to the next. But if Christ came too early, the timing of the vision, it would have been a disaster. I wrote this down. Timing is everything. A good vision at the wrong time will be a disaster. But when Christ is born, it's just at the right time and place and the infrastructure is there that literally the gospel is ready to be preached and go out Judea Samaria and the all the ends of the earth a couple hundred years prior to that it would have been missed it would have been rough but the timing was right Nehemiah rebuilding the walls was about timing 
application for this, I want you to think about even the vision and maybe God's birth in your heart personally, professionally, maritally, relationally, financially. In the vision, are you in sync with the timing? People maybe have a vision uh, for their finances of paying off debt. You didn't get there overnight. And I don't know why it is this way. It feels like forever paying off debt, but so easy, right, to rack that baby up. Buy a car. Get a school loan. Refinance the house. And that puppy takes forever to pay off. If you're going to have a vision financially, you need to know that there's timing, right? We got to stick to that vision and being consistent. What's the timing of your vision? Don't run ahead of the Lord. Let's look at number four. Look ahead of you. Look ahead of you. What is the big picture? Do you see the big picture? Because as a leader in whatever capacity you're in, you need to see tomorrow, today, but you need to see the whole picture. Sometimes we just see it through the pigeonhole. You know how it is. Oh, you look through the keyhole. How many of you ever did that? How many of you remember the old doors where it had the actual keys inside? Those are my, I remember my grandma's house like that. And we were like knocking in there and the cousins don't like open. He's still over there. I think you I know you guys stay in there. And you see them moving around in the room. I just saw you hiding behind the bed. And sometimes I think in truth, in life in general, we're seeing like through the keyhole, but we're not really seeing the whole room. All you can see is like, you, you, you just see them, but when you move, it's like, ah, they got cut off. And he, ah, they got cut off. As a leader, a leader sees the whole picture. Because you can't lead someone somewhere if you don't know where you're going. You need to clearly articulate it's basically, uh, can, you, can you understand the very purpose of your life, your business, why you exist, and what goals need to be achieved? Do you understand it, and can be, it be written down clearly? Leaders are not concerned with how much, uh, the how, as much as what's being done. And this is true. Sometimes we get caught up as leaders of, we know what got to be done, but we like them done exactly my way how many of you are guilty of that right it's my way or the highway like like we're gonna fold towels but my way of folding towels is the right way and the best way how many of you relate right i'm like i've been folding towels this way my whole life and then not we didn't harm nobody nope this is the way we fold towels right she has a vision I have a vision. And then so when she folds and I fold, so you look in the closet, one stay longer and skinnier, one stay perfect and nicely folded. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> do you know what that is? As you look ahead, do you know what goals need to be achieved? Are you, um, a, a leader is more concerned about what's being done than how it's being done. So, at the end of the day, is the towels being folded? Yes. It, it's how it's being folded, not as much of a concern as are they folded and are they put away, right? 
a real leader is saying, like, give them directions, right? But at the end of the day, as a good leader, you're like, cast the vision. I want the dishes washed. And you'd be surprised how people have different ideas of how dishes get washed. You need to pre-rinse and then wash and then rinse. And then people put it in the thing after that, the dishwasher. I'm like, aye, aye, aye. A leader is more concerned that is it getting done? We don't get caught up so much as to the how things are getting done. We have different ideas about that. I love what Bob Proctor says this. He's one of the world's uh, leading speakers on rewarding relationships, spiritual awareness, and on wealth. He says this, do you have a vision statement that gets you up in the morning, guides your actions through the day, and fuels your dreams at night? Oh, that's good. I'm going to say it again so you can digest that. Bob Proctor, do you have a vision statement that gets you up in the morning? When you open your eyes, is there anything on your mind already that's the burning desire in you that makes you get out of bed? What is it? Maybe for you, it's just paying the bills. I got to go work. You can grumble and you can complain, but you know at the end of the day, I got to get at work. Whatever it is, hopefully the vision gets larger than that. Does it guide your actions throughout the day? Because when you have a vision throughout the day, you're focused. You know what you can do and what you cannot do. I'm still learning this. We have so much things that go on at the church, and I'm trying to learn to say no. And especially, how many of you are like me at times? Like, you just always say yes, right? Yes. Can you do this? Yes. Do this? Yes. Can you do this? Look at the schedule. Yes. I don't know how, but somehow, Yes. Learn to say no, guide you throughout the day. This is the key one, though. Does it fuel your dreams at night? Man, when I go to bed, I'm already, I don't know if this is good or not, but I get to bed, I'm like, I kind of already run through the day tomorrow. Okay, I got this, this, and this. So that when I shut my eyes, I already know whether I can sleep in or whether from the morning I got to flip the switch, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? Because if your day off is the next day, Totally different, you go to bed, right? You're like, ah, watch TV till late. You don't care. You have a vision. Before I go to bed, man, I'm already thinking, Lord, what do you have the next day? Looking at the calendar so that you're ready and fueled when you wake up. When I look at the Bible, there are many people who had a clear picture ahead of them. We see Abraham. We talked about it last week. Uh, God takes Abraham up to the mountain and says, look at the north, south, east, west. Look at the stars in heaven and, and your children will be as many as stars in heaven. And, and look at the sand on the seashore. He's giving him a picture that literally today we are the fulfillment of. We're walking in that. He's giving him a clear picture. Do you have a clear picture of your vision? Moses had a clear picture of the promised land. Took them forever to get there, grumbling and complaining. It's another message for another day. And here's the application to that. Can you clearly write out what is the big picture for your life? Do you know it? What's the big picture for your family? What do you want to see in the end? Uh, I, I do this in uh, my leadership class. Uh, 
shameless plug the class is full but maybe we'll open it up if pastor ben will let i don't know tomorrow night seven o'clock my connect group um i i at one 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 point in the class i make everybody write out what will be said about them when people are standing at their casket and begin writing because you know why that's a clear vision what will people say about you when they're at your funeral? They're like, oh boy, look them. They say, acting like they were such a good person and saying all these nice things, but that's not how they was. You guys know how that is, right? It's like, who are they talking about? That's not the person that I know. Or will you show up at the funeral and go, man, they touched my life. They impacted me. The vision is clear. I've written out my vision years ago, even while in Bible college. One of our professors did this for us, and it changed my life forever. I wrote it, I wrote it down, and I have it written out at home. But, man, it's so in me. I know on, on that day when, I, when I'm dead and gone, there will be hundreds of leaders that are there that show up. And when they show up, they will say things like, he loved me. He believed in me. He invested in me. He gave me a chance. What he, what he was like in front of people is the same person that he was like behind the doors. We got to see how he lived. He loved his family, loved his wife and his kids. He was an example that I wanted to follow. That's what I want to be said about me. So you know what happens? That's a vision personally for my life. It, it wakes me up in the morning. We just came from a leader's retreat. And just this past week, it was three days, so about uh, 45 leaders from across the state flew in, our youth leaders, and we had a camp. And I'm thankful for our church and our team here at church because we really helped to put on this whole leaders retreat for them. We poured into them. And, and man, was I tired. And man, I was like dragging. I told the team, I pulled them together before the retreat. I said, I need your guys' help. Like, we are so full, flat out. I need us to just help pull this together because we got to pour into these leaders because they're going to impact the next generation and raise the next leaders. And you know what? By the end of the thing, why did it get me up early in the morning? Why do I stay up late at night? Why is my voice almost gone from being with youth leaders? It's because I have a vision. Because if I didn't have a vision, I would throw in a towel and say, this is pointless. Why would we invest thousands of dollars into these leaders in the next generation and all this time and effort? But the vision is clear. And I'm undeterred. Do you have a vision for your life? Number five, look above you. What does God expect of you? Look above you. What is God expecting of you? I love what Richard E. Day says. He says, every golden era in human history proceeded from the devotion and righteous passion of one single individual. There are no bona fide mass movements. It just looks that way. There is always one man or one woman who knows his God and knows where he's going. It may look like throughout history there's this mass movement, but it all goes back to one person 
who had an inner conviction and a desire to say, I'm, I'm going to say something. I'm going to do something. I see the things that are wrong. I'm not content to just sit back idly. Someone has always stepped forward to do that. Many times out of their own convictions of what God has put in their heart. People all throughout history and church history. Think about Amelia Earhart breaking the altitude record of flying. Rosa Parks challenging race segregation back then. Uh, and think about all that. Started from one person willing to stand up to begin to shift the whole nation. One person. Don't tell me one person can't make a difference. You can see the glass half empty or the glass is half full. It all depends on your perspective. One person can make a difference. Mother Teresa. You know, still to this day, people are looking and she, they take a vow of poverty and willing to help the poorest of the poor and building orphanages and feeding and loving and giving. They're still inspiring because they had a vision of what they believe God was calling them to do. Martin Luther King Jr., the civil rights movement leader, starts with a person with a vision leading that. I think of Martin Luther. He's white, not black. I didn't know the difference, okay? So I'm going to, it's a freebie. I went to Bible college and like, Martin Luther, I'm like, they put up a picture. I'm like, I don't know who, who that guy is, but the Martin Luther, I know, he's black. He's kind of bald. It's like, no, different one. He's in the Bible. Uh, not in the Bible, but he's in church history. I'm like, ah, no one told me about that. Okay, so I'm helping you so you don't confuse the two, okay? He's the father of the Protestant Reformation. Catholic Church at the time is continuing to grow and he sees things how they are drifting away from the word and I read the scripture earlier the just shall live by faith was basically the scripture and, and he's seeing how the Catholic, and this is no knock against the Catholic Church because in many ways the Catholic Church has held the line on many different issues when other people wouldn't hold the line so this is no knock against them okay I love the Catholic Church and God moves and still does through that uh, so at the time, it began to get very corrupt politically in all different ways. And Martin Luther was like, I'm not okay with this. Because when I look at the word and I look at your actions, your actions aren't matching the word. So he writes these theses and he nails them to the door. And this is where we as a church are part of the Protestant movement. The Protestant Reformation all started from one man who had a vision to take a stand even when the Catholic Church and other people were going after him and trying to shut him up. He had a vision. Thousands of churches, the whole Assemblies of God movement is part of the Protestant Reformation of one man who had a vision and decided to make his voice known. What is God calling you to do? I, 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 often say, I have the privilege of helping and leading leaders, and I, tell them, I often tell them this. I said, you don't have time comparing and looking at what other people are doing to feel insecure because it could be your church and the church down the road, but God calling you to do two very different things. What is God asking you to do? Do you know it? Can you articulate it? Martin Luther, that was his call. The theses, Protestant Reformation. 
Never get into the trap of comparison. Application, are you spending time in prayer? Are you reading his word? Are you spending time hearing the voice of God so that God can birth in you a clear vision so that you're not running with your own vision, but running with his vision? I'll say this, when I started... Um, our business a while a while back. Uh, this sounds so terrible. Now that I'm looking back, hindsight is 2020. I didn't even pray and ask God if if I should start the business. You know what I saw? Cha-ching, dollar signs, cha-ching. That got me into more trouble, and we lost more money. I asked my wife than anything else. All because why? I just saw money. I never even bothered asking God. Talking about business and, man, we can do two septic systems in a week and that's 6500 that's 13 grand a week and minus expense. Hey, you begin putting that together. Wow, man, we could probably easily every month be pulling off 40 grand. And, and you start moving ahead, not even considering the Lord. Never be driven by money. Never be driven by title or position. You want to have a vision, have a vision that God's birthed in your heart. Because when you step out to do it, at times it will make absolutely no sense. But if it's the Lord, he has a way of birthing something out in time. The timing of the Lord. That's for somebody today. The last one, number six. Look beside you. Look beside you. What resources are available to you? What resources are available to you? If you have a great vision that God's put on your heart, it will require a team to accomplish the vision. What resources are available? Who do you see around you? You need to know that if, if you're married, a husband and a wife, and part of your vision is raising children who love God and will follow him, it's going to take a team to do it. At times you see a lot of single parents who do it, and it's difficult. And man, my heart, I give them so much props for what they do investing. But oftentimes I say, Leisha and I together, I'm like, I don't know how we do it. We just have one. We have one, and it takes everything that we got. Just one. <laughs> Not just us. We have everybody in the church help us too. Can you watch him for a day? We're gone out of town. Can you watch him for two days? Like, it takes a team. What resources do you have to fulfill the vision that God's calling you to? I often say this, that if your vision or dream doesn't scare you, that it's not big enough and I would maybe there's an argument that can be made that maybe it's not a God dream or God vision at all because I'm telling you when God births a vision and a dream in your heart when I look out through the Bible and through church history man it's gonna cost you something you're going to have to risk everything on it. Martin Luther, when he started the Protestant Reformation, he had no idea. He knew that he was risking it all. If it doesn't challenge you or scare you, maybe it's not a God dream at all because there's something that happened when God birthed something in you. For me, I see clearly up ahead and it makes me hit my knees. It makes me stay close to him and say, God, I need you. Lord, I see the building. Lord, I don't see the money, but Lord, my eyes is on you. 
you're the provider. I don't know where that's going to come from, but Lord, if you're calling us to that, then the money takes care of itself because you are Jehovah Jireh. What's your resources? Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or think according to the power at work within us. I love what Pastor Rick Warren says. He says, if you want to know the temperature of your family, organization, or business, just stick a thermometer in the leader's mouth. Want to know the temperature of the marriage? Stick it in the wife's mouth. That's a good indicator. Because us guys, we have a way of saying... It's fine. Oh, no problem. Thank you, God. I'm not trying us under the wagon, guys. It's the truth and the reality. I counsel with too many uh, couples to know that's the truth. It's all G. It's all good. Put the thermometer in the wife's mouth. Whew, that bugger going to blow the mercury right out of that thermometer. Something is wrong with, like, what is wrong with this picture here? I love what, I love what the, um, this one leader says. He says, men, we're like thermostats. We set the temperature and the wife is the thermometer. She just adjusts to the temperature that's set in the home. That's true for your spirituality. It's true for your temperament. It's true for your faith. What's the temperature like? If you're a leader in your home, leader on your business what does that look like and and i don't want to leave anyone out and, and maybe maybe you have a husband who's not saved or not not setting that temperature man i i see it so often times where the woman has to step in and she sets the temperature and she's like if nobody else in his family is gonna set the thermostat then i'm gonna set the thermostat i'm gonna pray I'm going to show up in church and I'm going to hopefully let the kids start rising up to that temperature. And maybe my husband will catch up to get to that temperature. I'll never forget this one quote. This great leader that I've always looked up to, Charles Crabtree, who's the assistant superintendent in the Assemblies of God. He said this in our leadership class, in our, our preaching class. He says, any two-headed thing is a monster I was like okay what does that mean any two-headed thing he said if you're in business you can't have two heads there's always one this is true because when I study leadership and I look at it and when they look at the history of the church we look at history of every organization you can't have two people they've tried to have even in business and great nonprofits they think well let's get two leaders leading at the top and it'll be better but in truth they said it can never be and never be done successfully because at the end of the day it always has to be one person at the top who's gonna take the hit who's gonna set the tone who's gonna see the vision he says this is true in church this is oftentimes there's two heads there's no two heads there's one head God calls someone Everybody else lines up to what God's calling. In the marriage also, 
man, no, we don't like this. Another, it's another day, another topic of relationships, which we actually are going to get into in this next couple of weeks. But there's one. God calls the man, and hopefully they're at the right spiritual temperature that they're setting the home. And oftentimes what happens is when they're being that head and trying to lead, but they're going in the wrong direction, there's this fight and struggle that the woman's like, man, you're not leading one in. Step aside, buddy, let me lead. And yet God calls the, the wife, and there's this big thing, right? Uh, uh, submit, and, and you, if you love, then I submit. You submit, then I love. Like I said, another day, another story. I go back to just say, there's one head. Jesus is the head of the church. We're going to follow him. I end on this last quote by John Maxwell. It says, God's gift to me is my potential. My gift back to God is what I do with my potential. Truly believe in every single one sitting here, there is this great God given potential in every single one of you. Whether we ever live up to that potential for me, man, I, I, I'm, you, I'm, I'm gonna give it my hundred percent because I know what He did for me. I know the price he paid for me. I know what mess I was in when he found me. My gift back to him, God, every gift, every passion, my time, my talent, my treasure, my potential, Lord, I give that back to you as my gift offering to you, Lord. He's gifted you great potential. What is the gift that you're returning? back to the Lord.